Good morning, church. There are so many places that you could be and so many things that you could be doing. You could have chosen to be anywhere and chosen to do anything this morning, and yet you chose to be with your church family, whether here in person or online. You chose to be with your church family. You chose to celebrate Jesus and to encourage one another. And I think that that choice is phenomenal. In fact, it's the idea of, of choices that I want to talk about this morning. There, there's always, always so many things you could choose to do, right? And, and as I think about family and I think about parenting, I think about when my, my kids were infants and even toddlers to a certain extent, and and that's hard, isn't it? Those of you that have infants and toddlers, it's, it's incredibly difficult. But one of the, the blessings, don't take it for granted, one of the, the blessings of having infants and toddlers is that you can carry them where you want them to go. You know what I'm saying? You, you, can, you can physically pick them up and take them to the place you want them to go. This week, my youngest son turned 11, and my oldest son measured in at 6'1". I can't carry them anymore. <laughs> I, I can't force them to be where I want them to be. I can't force them to do what I want them to do. As, as they get older, and it's going to be increasingly more so, they have all kinds of growing independence, right? Where they have to, at least to some degree, want to do something, or at least want to avoid the consequences of not doing something. They have to want to, and I can't force them to, to make good choices. I can't force them to make right choices all of the time. They get to choose a lot of the things that they do, and as a parent, I just pray and hope that they will make good, wise, right choices, but I, I don't want to just pick on my kids or on your kids or your grandkids or, or, or young people because it, it's me. It's me, too, that I have so many choices that I can make. I, I, I have this vocabulary at my disposal that I can say all kinds of things, and I can go all kinds of places, and I can do all kinds of things, and so often I say the wrong things, and I do the wrong things, and I use the, the choices and the opportunities that I have in the wrong way. Sometimes I wish God would just pick me up and say, oh, Wes, you're going in the wrong way. Come over here and do this thing or say this thing or, or be this way. And he, he doesn't force me to do what is right and good and wise. So we have to make good, right, wise choices. We have to want to do what is good and right and wise. And then we also want to be a good influence on our family, don't we? And we, we want to help them to make choices that are good and right and wise. So what can we do both for ourselves and for our families to help us, to help us to make good choices and right choices and wise choices, to want to make good choices and right choices 
and wise choices. I want to suggest to you that Psalm 119 is incredibly helpful for that. In fact, the way Psalm 119 is laid out, it's, it's beautiful, especially in Hebrew, because it's an acrostic, which means that it starts with every letter of the Hebrew alphabet. There are sections, one section for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and every line in that section starts with that letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And we're going to look at the first two sections, so the first two letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Now, why do you suppose that the psalmist wrote it that way? Why do you suppose that it's written as an acrostic? I, I kind of think that it's probably because it makes it easier to memorize, right? That this is the kind of thing that you don't just want to get into your head, you want to get into your heart. You want to get it right down into the, the marrow of your bones, you want to know it. You want it to be a part of who you are. And I think that if we embrace and incorporate this kind of thinking and this kind of talking and this kind of praying in our families, it changes what we choose to do. It changes what we want to do. So if you have your Bible, look at Psalm 119. Starting in verse 1. Now, this is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Of course, you can't see that in English, but the first letter is Aleph. And this first two verses, this is really an introduction to the whole thing. And listen to what the psalmist says. He says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. Now, focus especially on that word blessed. The Hebrew word is ashrei. And ashrei means happy or fortunate. He starts this whole psalm by saying, happy, happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Happy are those who keep his testimonies. Do you see how sometimes we set up a false dichotomy and we say there's a choice. You got to choose between being obedient or being happy. Don't we sometimes talk like that? Even those of us who, who want to do what is right and good, we sometimes think in order to do what is right and good, we're, we're sacrificing being happy. That you have to choose between being happy or being obedient. And that if you're obedient and you do what God wants you to do, then you sacrifice being happy. The psalmist says, nonsense. That's nonsense. It's nonsense to, to look at the disobedient and to say, wow, phew, man, it must be nice. Just go do whatever you want to do. Must be nice. Go live however you want to live and just follow your impulses. Just do whatever you feel like. That must be nice. And the psalmist says, don't think that way. That's, that's not the happy life. In fact, the, the happiest possible life is the obedient life. The happiest possible life is the obedient life. Now, that doesn't mean that you're always going to be comfortable. It doesn't mean that the obedient life is always going to be easy. It doesn't mean that, that you're never going to have pain. It's never going to be difficult. But uh, out of all the lives that you could choose to live, 
out of all the paths that you could choose to take, out of all the choices that you could choose to make, the obedient life is the happiest possible life. That in the long run, you are going to be the happiest that you could possibly be if you choose to walk in obedience to the Lord. This is the happiest possible life. So we, we have to stop framing things in terms of being happy or being obedient. The psalmist says the best way to be happy is to be obedient. This is the blessed life. Why? Because it's the obedient who are seeking him with their whole heart. Because nothing compares Nothing compares to knowing God and being known by God. Nothing compares to being in covenant relationship with God. This is why this is the ashray life, the blessed life, the fortunate life, the happy life. Now look at verse 4 as he begins this prayer. It says, you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I love that phrase. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. The New Living Translation puts it like this. It says, Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. I wish so much that I was consistent in my obedience. That's such a good prayer, isn't it? Father, I want to be consistent in my obedience because it reflects two things. It reflects the challenge of consistency, right? It's hard. It's hard to be consistently obedient. Oh, it's easy to be occasionally obedient, but it's hard to be consistently obedient. But it also reflects the desirability of consistent obedience. It's hard, but it's desirable. And it's so hard that none of us have done it, right? We've all been inconsistent. Even the psalmist is reflecting on the fact that he hasn't been steadfast. He hasn't been consistent. Not as steadfast and consistent as he wished that he was. And neither have you and neither have I. But we should want to, shouldn't we? That should be our prayer. Our prayer should be, Father, I want to be consistently obedient. I want to consistently, steadfastly, I want to persevere in obedience. I want to, on a regular basis, say no to temptation. I'm tired of saying yes to temptation. I'm I'm ready to say no to temptation and do things your way. Reflect on something for a second, if you will. How often do your prayers in your family maybe at dinner time or at bedtime or whenever your family prays, how often do your prayers reflect this request? How often do your prayers sound like this? Do you, do you pray about your obedience? 
Whether you personally or you with your family, whatever your role in your family may be, do you as a family pray about this? That you want to be consistently, steadfastly obedient to the Lord? That it pains you when you haven't? In your prayers, do you reflect on both the, the challenge of consistency and the desirability of consistency? I want to be consistent. Look at verse 7. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. In other words, don't give up on me. I will learn your righteous rules. And if we were to go through the whole psalm, and we're not going to go through the whole psalm because it's the longest chapter in the Bible, but if we were to go through the whole psalm, we would see that over and over again, this is the psalmist's posture, a posture of learning, of being a student. I want to learn. He prays, teach me your statutes, teach me your law, teach me your rules, teach me good judgment and knowledge. In our families, whatever your role in the family, husband, wife, son, daughter, brother, sister, grandparent, aunt, uncle, whatever your role in the family, do we, do we model and teach, both in, in our deeds and in our words, do we teach and model this posture of humility? Even if you're a father... Even if you're a mother, even if you're a husband, even if you're a wife, even if you're a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle, you should take on the posture of student, learner, pupil. In fact, the word that, that the New Testament uses for followers of Jesus is disciple, which is a student of a rabbi. We are disciples we are learners, we are students, we are pupils, and this needs to be the way we approach Scripture, and it needs to be the way we pray. Teach me. Teach me how to live, because I don't know. I don't know how to live. I make a mess of things. When I just do what I want to do, and I follow my own impulses and my own thoughts, I make a mess of things. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to live. I can't follow my own heart or my own mind. I make a mess of everything. I need to learn from you, Father. Teach me your ways. Show me how to live. Teach me what's right and teach me what's wrong. Give me good judgment. Help me to be wise. But our flesh, our flesh rejects this sort of humility, doesn't it? Our flesh rejects this sort of instruction. Our flesh says, I don't want to learn. I don't need to be a student. I, I want to do what I want to do. I want to do what I feel like doing, what I think I should do. I want to follow my own heart. I want to follow my own mind. I want to follow my own reasoning. Our flesh rejects humility. Our flesh rejects instruction. This is why we need to bury ourselves in Scripture and remind ourselves we need to be a student. You need to be a learner. You need to be a pupil. You need to be a disciple. Before we can teach anybody anything, we have to be students and learners, followers. 
Now the next section, the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, bet. Psalm 119 and verse 8. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. We see something consistently in Scripture, although sometimes I think we ignore it. When, we, when we're tempted, it's really easy to blame someone else, right? It's really easy to blame the culture. It's really easy to blame what somebody else is wearing. It's really easy to blame what somebody else is doing. It's really easy to blame how someone else is talking. And they might be wrong for what they're doing. But temptation and sin is my problem. It's your problem. The problem is in me. The problem is in my desires. The problem is in my appetites. And if I don't guard my way, if I don't discipline myself, I will wander. We will wander, won't we? We wander. And we have to guard our way. And, and this, is, this is one of the reasons we have Scripture. To help us guard our way. To help us keep ourselves from wandering. To, when we're left to our own devices, to do whatever we think is best to do whatever we feel is best, we will go astray. And so we have to be constantly on guard. Verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you, that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I will declare all the rules of your mouth. What do you think it means to store up God's word in our heart? What does that mean? It's to memorize it, doesn't it? To memorize it, to, to write it on our hearts and on our minds. I'll tell you, I, I never quoted so much scripture, not out loud, but in my mind, as I did when I was a college student. When my eyes were tempted to wander, the only way that I could guard my path was to quote the scripture that I had memorized. Sometimes we think about memorizing scripture, and, and it's just another way for us to puff ourselves up with knowledge. And we think, I want to memorize scripture so I know more scripture than other people. That's the wrong reason to memorize scripture. The right reason to memorize scripture is to help you say no to temptation. The psalmist says, I've stored up your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. Temptation is coming. And, and scripture, memorizing scripture is a way for us to inoculate ourselves, defend ourselves, guard ourselves against that temptation that comes. So that when it comes, you can quote scripture to it. Because I'll tell you one thing, it's really hard to sin when you're quoting scripture. It's really hard. Try it sometime. Quote scripture when you're tempted. Memorize it so that when you are tempted, you can quote scripture. You can write it down. You can pray it. You can say it out loud if you need to. 
This is why we write it on our hearts. This is why we write it on our minds. This is why we encourage the next generation. Write these truths on your heart. Store them up in your heart so that you will not sin against the Lord. Now notice he says, teach me your statutes. And then he says, with my lips, I declare all your rules. You see how scripture does both for us? It turns us into a student and then it naturally turns us into a teacher. It turns us into a student where we say, I want to learn. I have so much to learn. I'm so broken. I'm so messed up. I need you to teach me. And then would you teach me? And once I learn it, I can't help but share it with other people. I can't help but declare it to other people because it makes their lives better, right? Because the happiest life is the obedient life. And I can't help it but, but share with other people, this is going to make your life better. This is going to help you. This is going to help you avoid the traps. This is going to help you to avoid self-destructive behavior. Not as in a holier-than-thou kind of way. Because it didn't come from us. It came from him. He showed us. He taught us. And when he shows us and teaches us, and we can avoid the, the pitfalls and avoid the self-destructive behaviors, then we can't help but say, I, I got to tell you, I got to tell you how awesome this is. I got to tell you what I've learned. I, I've got to tell you what I've seen. I've got to tell you what the Lord has showed me. I've got I've to share these things with you because it's going to make your life better the way it's made my life better. See, these are the kinds of conversations we need to be having in our homes where we declare to one another, this is the victory I had this week. Let me, let me share this victory with you. I, I was tempted in this way, and, and I was able to avoid it by doing this. And, and somebody else in our family says, oh, I've been tempted that way, and I've given in so many times, and I, I'm going to try what you suggested, and I, I'm going to try to do things this way, and you've really encouraged me. And you see, we learn, and then we share and we help each other to understand that this is the best possible life. Verse 14, in the way of your testimonies, I, here's the word, delight. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. I want you to imagine if you wanted to learn how to do something, I don't know, maybe play the guitar, and you want to you learn to play the guitar, and the world's best, I don't even know who the world's best guitarist is, but whoever that is, the world's best guitarist says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tutor you in the guitar. I'm going to teach you how to play. I'm going to teach you everything I know that you need to know in order to play the guitar. Or maybe you want to be a I don't know, astrophysicist. And, and the world's greatest astrophysicist says, I'm going to tutor you, and I'm going to show you everything that you need to know. How would you feel about that? How would you feel about that? If you want to learn something, and the world's greatest says, I'm going to teach you, you would delight in it, wouldn't you? He's taken notice of me. This person has taken notice of me and wants to share this with me, wants to instruct me. That's how the psalmist felt about Scripture. 
Scripture is God's way of tutoring and guiding and shaping his people. And the psalmist delights in it, says, this is better than if I had all the riches in the world. God is instructing me and helping me to see what is the best possible life, the most ashray life, the the blessed life, the, the happiest life, the most fortunate life. God wants to instruct me how to walk in that way. Of course he would delight in that. But church, I would be remiss if I didn't say that you have something even greater than that. The written word of scripture has always been there to to shape and teach God's people. But John chapter 1 says that the word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. The word of God that the psalmist delighted in and said, this is awesome. God teaches his people how to walk, teaches us how to avoid the pitfalls, teaches us how to do better. That word became human, human to show us exactly this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to live obediently. This is what it looks like to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. This is what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself. Come, follow me, Jesus says. Come, follow me. So we have the written scripture, but but we also have the word who became flesh. And of course, we should delight in that, shouldn't we? Delight in following Jesus. And when you delight in following Jesus, you show others the benefits and blessings of obedience. Right? Not not just when you you follow Jesus, not out of compulsion. Oh, I don't want to follow Jesus and it's such a burden and I hate doing this thing and I hate being religious and I hate being this. No, not like that. But a recognition Embracing the reality that Jesus is showing you the very best way to live, the most ashray way to live, the the blessed way to live, the happy way to live, the best possible life is to follow Jesus. That doesn't mean it's always comfortable. That doesn't mean it's always easy. But it means out of all of the ways you could live, out of all the choices you could make, Out of all the paths you could go down, the way of Jesus is the best possible path. And when you delight in following Jesus, you show others, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your your classmates, the benefits and the blessings of obedience. That this isn't something we do out of compulsion. It's something we delight in. And see, this this needs to be encapsulated in the way we talk in our homes, in the way we discuss going to worship or singing praises or reading scripture, that we delight in following Jesus so that we can impress on the next generation the benefits and the blessings of obedience. Because the the benefits and blessings of following Jesus, not that we've earned anything, it's that Jesus' obedience and Jesus' sacrifice has made us pure and clean. 
But Jesus isn't just our savior. He's also our, our rabbi, our teacher, our high priest, our instructor to show us how to live. And when we follow Jesus in this life of discipleship, it ends not in death, but it ends in life. He has the words of eternal life. He is the way and the truth and the life. And he takes us to his Father. And this life of obeying him, this life of following him, this, this life of listening to him, this life of learning from him is the best possible life. And when we delight in it that way, when it's our joy, when we'd rather follow Jesus than have all the riches in the world, then we impress upon others the benefits and the blessings of doing the same. That obedience, that life of discipleship, that posture of being a learner and a student, it starts at baptism, doesn't it? Where we surrender everything and we say, Lord, I'm a mess. I've messed up. I followed my own thoughts. I followed my own impulses. I followed my own feelings. And it's brought me nothing but pain and suffering. It's brought pain and suffering not only to myself, but also to the people around me. And I, I need to start over. And I need your forgiveness and your mercy and your grace and your love. I need your instruction. I need you to straighten me out. I need you to give me a new life and a new heart and a new mind. It starts at baptism. But then that process is ongoing, isn't it? Where every day we get up and we have to remind ourselves, I don't follow me anymore. I don't follow my own thoughts or my own feelings or my own impulses. Jesus is teaching me how to love the Lord and how to love my neighbor. And today, I'm going to take up my cross and follow Jesus and realize that the, the benefits and the blessings of following Jesus outweigh everything else. And maybe you need help and encouragement. Maybe you're ready to put Jesus on in baptism. Or you need prayers. You need your church family to come alongside you. Because this life of obedience, this life of trying to follow Jesus consistently is hard. And we need one another. And so if we can be there for you this morning, you can visit with our shepherds in the prayer room after service, or you can come forward now as we stand and sing.